He's amused Cam Newton. He's been insulted by Charles Barkley. When some idiot in the press asked him, if you know what you know now, would you have scheduled this game? He's interviewed Matthew McConaughey. I do say go, Tarion. And he's taken on Big Blue Nation. See, he's just completely taken the wind out of my sails. <laughs> it's time for The Drive with Josh Graham. To kick off this Wednesday drive on WSJS News Talk Sports for the Triad, I want to do a quick thought exercise. You're tasked with going back in a time machine just to a few years ago, and you have to explain to a Triad race fan that in 2022, Dale Earnhardt Jr. is going to be racing at North Wilkesboro Speedway. Go ahead. Do you think you could do it? Yeah, so it's Jr., and he's going to be racing. Huh? I thought he was retired. Maybe he does like an Xfinity race once a year. Yeah, it's Jr. He's going to be racing, and it's going to be at North Wilkesboro. North Wilkesboro? Have you seen the track lately? It's completely falling apart. How is that even possible? Well, you see, COVID hit, and there was some funding from local politicians. Wait a minute, wait a minute. What's COVID? I think you could see my point. Tonight would have been unimaginable just a few years ago. Really? This entire month with that big opening night? It's really hard to process. August the 2nd was the big opening night, but as big as that night was at North Wilkesboro, I think Dale Jr. running tonight's going to top it. Because while it's not NASCAR returning, it might as well be. There is no bigger star in the sport than Dale Earnhardt Jr. Even today, the guy hasn't raced cup races in five years, and there's nobody in the sport more popular than he was. They have actually a vote on this. Who's the most popular guy in NASCAR that they announce every year? 15 years running, his last 15 years, he was the guy who won that award. So how many people does this racetrack hold? Around 9,000 people? I'd expect about 10,000 to show up tonight then. 7.30 in the late stock cars. It's going to be great. He's wearing the old sun drop race suit and you got the old designs. If his presence alone isn't enough nostalgia for you, the fact that he's running in this late model Sundrap Chevy, that probably should do the trick. It does look straight out of the early 1990s. I was watching some of this video of him qualifying last night. He hasn't raced late models since 1993. He hasn't raced at North Wilkesboro altogether since 1995. And... I think there's going to be a real air of appreciation in those stands tonight, in those grandstands, because I think anybody who loves racing and has followed this story closely knows that this revival probably isn't possible if not for the efforts of Dale Jr. Going back to the track being cleaned up in 2019 with iRacing, leading to that documentary being made in 2020, around the same time, when the government got some COVID funds. I don't think it's a coincidence that North Wilkesboro was top of mind. Those things seem to be linked together in getting the funding to figure this thing out. Here was Dale on why it was important to him to help revitalize North Wilkesboro Speedway. When you come out here and visit the track over the last two decades, it was like it was speaking to you. Like, hey, man, I got something left. There's a little, there's, I, 
I can be something, right? I can, I can be a value to the, to the motorsports industry. And, uh, and I think we're seeing that come true today, that uh, this track has a purpose. It can be a big asset to this community and all the surrounding counties as a multi-use piece of property. And you can't help but think, that's really cool sound, by the way. You can't help but think that his dad's love of this place fueled him in this as well. The Intimidator, he won five cup races at North Wilkesboro Speedway. The last time they ran a race there in 96, Jeff Gordon finished first. Dale Sr. was the runner-up. He loved that racetrack. And Dale Jr. grew up running around on this racetrack. So there's going to be a lot of nostalgia in the air. There's going to be a lot of appreciation in the air. And I imagine a lot of people are already en route to North Wilkesboro. And if you were planning to be there, if you are planning to be there tonight, you better start to get on your way there. Because I imagine it's going to be a decent amount of traffic. Tonight's going to be a special night to cap what's been a really special revival month at North Wilkesboro Speedway. Your thoughts are welcome on the show at WSJS Radio, 336-777-1600. Save that phone number because we've got two pairs of Wake Forest football tickets for tomorrow night. We're going to give those away in about 10 minutes. We'll tell you how to win those in just a second. W.D. Will Dalton, the W.D. is the producer of today's show. 72 hours away from myself going to North Carolina App State. You beginning to pack? Get out there for NC State East Carolina? Oh, I'm ready. Whew. I can't wait, man. NC State 13th in the country. The Pirates coming off their first bowl season, even though they never played the bowl game. They were bowl eligible since 2014. And since we're getting so close to these games, I think it's a good time to talk about rivalries. I don't think you could call App State Carolina a rivalry because they've only played one time. I think you've got to play more than once for your series to be considered a rivalry. But ECU-NC State absolutely is. And if you don't agree with me, hear me out. Pull up a chair and let me tell you how legitimate, deep-rooted, and bad-blooded of a rivalry the Pirates and Wolfpack really is. Because it, it goes back to the 1980s. You might not know this, but in 1987, the Pirates pulled off an upset at Carter-Finley of the Pack. After the game... How crazy would this be today? After the game, ECU fans stormed NC State's field and tore down the goalpost. At NC State Stadium, Pirate fans did that. Jim Valvano was the AD at the time. He got so mad about ECU fans doing that, he refused to schedule the Wolfpack. But did that, or the Pirates, did that stop these two from playing, though? No, because five years later, they met in a huge bowl game, the 92 Peach Bowl. This is seen to be the greatest East Carolina win of all time because of who it was against, but also the way the game played out. It was NC State leading 34-14 to in the second half and the Pirates scoring 24 straight. Jeff Blake to Luke Fisher in the final minute. The Pirates win 38-34. ECU finished the season ranked ninth in the country that year with Jeff Blake and all an 11-1 season. And to make matters more heated, later in the 90s, a huge hurricane hit. If you were in the state of North Carolina, you remember Hurricane Floyd. I remember being in the bathtub 
and being terrified when Hurricane Floyd hit. It ravaged the eastern part of the state, and it got to the point where they couldn't play football games at Dowdy Ficklin Stadium. And ECU had a decent team that year. David Garrard was playing quarterback for them. So number nine Miami was set to come into Dowdy Ficklin Stadium for a game, but the, the stadium was unplayable. So NC State, out of the kindness of their hearts, said you can play that game since we're on the road at Carter-Finley Stadium. So it was ECU in Miami, and guess what the Pirates did? They upset the Hurricanes. So what do you do when you pull off an upset? You storm the field and tear down the goalpost. They did that at NC State Stadium again. And Pac fans got rightfully pretty mad about that. But you might be thinking, Josh, come on. This is ancient history. This isn't stuff that the players and coaches think about today. You might be right about that. But there's recent bad blood too. Dave Doran does not like East Carolina. And it dates back to his first year as the head coach of the pack. ECU had some guy named Lincoln Riley calling plays. And they went into Carter Finley, blew out the Wolf Pack in the fourth quarter of that game. I was there. They were chanting purple, gold at Carter Finley. And when NC State played ECU a few years later, back in Greenville, Dave Doran made sure to mention, I did not like the fact that they did that. I haven't forgotten that. Didn't help them that day, though. They lost to Scotty Montgomery's Pirates in Greenville, 33-30. to But they've played since then, just not in Greenville. 2018. Make it, yeah, last game of 2018. ECU has an interim coach. They're getting blown out. WD, they're down 58 to nothing, ECU. They're getting crushed. But the Pirates, they're trying not to get shut out. They're driving down the field. They're getting into field goal range. And they're lining up for a kick so they don't get shut out. And what does Dave Doran do? Calls timeout. He tried to ice the kicker up 58 to nothing. ECU made the kick. But as I mentioned, some bad blood simmering there. I say all of that to say... There's bad blood here. It's between the fan bases. It's between the current head coach of the pack and ECU. It's historic. There are a lot of matchups. I don't care what your definition of a rivalry is. If ECU, NC State doesn't qualify, you need another definition of the word rivalry. Did you learn something there, WD? So what you're telling me is, is I'm going to get a good one on Saturday. Yeah. That's what you're telling yeah. me. Yeah. Okay. Buckle up, buckaroo. Check this out. We're on at five. The perfect blend of sports and pop culture happens this evening at six with the Rich Eisen Show. Okay, let's get this show rolling. Now back to the drive with Josh Graham. Connor O'Neill now in studio with us. Tomorrow... It's Wake Forest VMI. We'll talk about some of those pro deeks in just a few minutes. Big day for Wake Forest yesterday on NFL Cut Day. But before we get to that, in addition to covering Wake Forest, you covered Duke as well. And right as we went off the air yesterday, I don't hear enough people talking about this. A really significant injury, Derek Whitehead fractured his foot and according to Duke, underwent surgery yesterday. If you have followed sports for any period of time, it's amazing. 
the longer you're in it, you just hear an injury and you immediately know, like the prognosis, how long <laughs> guys are going to be out. So anytime I think broken foot, oh, four to six weeks. We're all medical experts. That's it. When I hear broken foot, I think four to six weeks. Yeah. And at the end of September, Duke and everybody else is going to start preseason camp. So you're looking at a scenario that Derek Whitehead might not be ready for the start of camp. It might bleed into the middle of October, which might not sound like a big deal to anybody, but we've learned over the years when it comes to freshmen specifically, that preseason camp time is so valuable. Yeah, how many times did Coach K and others around the program last year talk about how A.J. Griffin couldn't get up to speed really until after that exam break for two weeks in the beginning of December? It took him a month into the season before he showed anything. Yeah, I mean, we you know, we knew the talent was there, and it's going to be the same thing with Derek Whitehead. Like, we know the talent is there. We know that he's going to be kind of a tertiary ball handler behind Jeremy Roach and Tyrese Proctor, but we, we just... You know, it, it's it's valuable chemistry time that he's going to miss. You hope that the chemistry has been established in the last month or two when they've been in summer workouts and that kind of thing. Um, you know, yesterday was 69 days out from the opener. Okay. So I would say, you know, I think the save the date came out for media day. Uh, media day is usually sometime mid-October. Mm -hmm. And Duke is going to have their own media day at the end of September. So... You know, those will be the those will be the times that we really need Dariq updates and you know, how far along is he? Is he getting out on the court jumping? Is he able to do non contact stuff, just shooting drills, that kind of thing. And that's that's where the timeline is this early on. And when you talk about fractured foot, for basketball, fractured feet. For basketball, that's a big, 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 big deal. Really the mental part of it more so like that's that's something that I always want athletes to talk about not all of them will or can talk about it but that's always the main thing is hearing the guys explain you know yeah the the doctors told me I'm 100% but the first you know 500 times that I jumped on it I wasn't sure if I was going to land uh on it wrong and and be out again so that that aspect of it I think you know I I've never talked to Derek. I don't know if he's that kind of kid that would let us in like that, but that's what I would be most curious in is, you know, he's physically, he's going to be ready to play basketball sometime either before the season or around the time of the season opener. And here's what is most significant about that. Derek Whitehead, by the way, got to make sure I get the pronunciation right here. Uh, Duke doesn't have another guy on their team that's remotely like no. him. See, you look at this team. He's not the highest touted recruit. Derek Lively might be the number one player in America. <laughs> Rivals he is. Rivals, uh, Whitehead. Okay, Derek so is Dariq, our number one. Derek is your number one. So depending on where you look, yeah. some say he's number one, some say he's not. But what I'm getting at is he's probably going to be the small forward. When I look at other spots on the roster, okay, you got Derek Lively, but you also have Flipkowski or Filipkowski, who's going to be there to rotate. And you got Mitchell coming off the bench, who's another five-star big. In the backcourt, you got Roach. You brought in the guy from Illinois. And in addition to that, you referenced Tyrese Proctor, who reclassified and is going to be available this year. I don't see anybody else who's this rangy, small forward with athleticism that if he's not able to be that guy, Duke can just plug somebody in with that little drop-off. 
Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, they were out without Jacob Grandison, the Illinois transfer, for quite a bit of the summer. Uh, they put out two like ten minute package highlight films of their scrimmages, and he was not a part of any of them. Like you could see him on the sideline, but he wasn't practicing yet. Um, Therese, Tyrese Proctor, for that matter, wasn't on campus for those. So they've got to bring him along uh, a little quicker, and, and he's got some work to do to catch up. Uh, Mark Mitchell is rangy, but I think I'm, I'm with you. Mark Mitchell slots in more as kind of a four. four or five. Um, he's, yeah, uh, Filipowski is going to play the bulk of the four minutes, maybe some five minutes. Um, the other one to keep an eye on is it's either Ryan Young or Ryan Murphy. I keep wanting to whichever one Ryan is Young. wrong is the one I keep saying. Ryan Young. All right, so Ryan Young from Northwestern was a standout in the summer. Uh, he really impressed them with his work, and he's going to allow them to play him at the five, spell Derek Lively a bit. Uh, but you're right, there is, you know, it's it's kind of like you know, if you want to compare it to last year's team, there's no substitute for Paolo. Nobody's. Nobody in the country is bringing in a 6'10", 250-pound guy that could do the things that he did. I'm not saying Derek Whitehead is number one overall, you know, Paolo Boncaro levels of good, but Duke doesn't have a guy with his skill set. in the And same, elsewhere they the did, like, okay, A.J. Griffin, it didn't hurt you that you couldn't bring him along quicker because you had Wendell Moore Jr. who could play small forward and you had other guys spelling at other spots. I love this area because we could talk college basketball 12 months out of the year. Connor O'Neill is in studio with us. So that's the Duke news of the day. And we got plenty of time to figure out whether or not it's Ryan Murphy, Ryan Young, <laughs> whether it's Derek Whitehead or Derek Whitehead between I gotta, now and the start of the season. I got to find a way to, to hammer Ryan Young into my head. It just keeps happening. Ryan Young. I'll help you with that somehow, some way. Let's talk Pro Deeks. Someone corrected me on Twitter because I said Deke Pros. They're like, no, 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 no. That's it's Pro Deeks because yeah. NC State's got Pack Pros and you gotta have your own hashtag, right? I was expecting some Deeks to get cut yesterday. And did any Deke get cut anywhere? Alex Bachman, I mean, he's got He got find, cut from the Giants? He's gotta find some other organization. That's unbelievable. It's, I'm sure he's a practice squad guy. You can't you can't lead the NFL. How did he not get picked up on catches? waivers? Yeah. All that dude's catch, all that dude does is catch preseason touchdowns. Yeah. Okay. So poor Alex Bachman. But aside from that, the Broncos released Kendall Hinton, but, but I think he's, and Asang Bassey. And I think Kendall is uh, saw something that he's signing with their practice squad. So they obviously really like Kendall uh, for reasons beyond the the spot start on <laughs> like sixteen hours notice or whatever it was in uh, twenty twenty. Yeah. So. Here's what's cool about it to me, though. Wake Forest is now putting in, putting out a considerable number of guys in the league. But the perception of Wake is, oh, you know, the reason they win is their offense. A lot of these guys are defensive players. When you see players who have been drafted the last few years, it's Sternad, it's Carlos Boogie Basham, it's Jasir Taylor, who, who made the L.A. Chargers roster after being a sixth-round draft pick. Luke Masterson has really flashed in Raiders camp to the point where Josh McDaniels is talking about him in his press conference, really high praise, and he makes the 53-man despite being undrafted. I think it's four guys that were on the team last year that made rosters this Luigi. year, right? Yeah, and three of the four are on the defensive side of the ball. And the, the one that isn't is the one that all last year I would have 
told anybody that asked, Zach Tom is the most likely draft pick on this roster. Going into this season, I think Rondell Bothroyd is the most likely draft pick on, on the current roster. The individual talent has been there for a long time on Wake's defense. It's just the scheme. It's just the nature of when you have an offense that is going to be on the field for 80 to 90 snaps and only take 27 minutes in time of possession when you're a school like Wake that has dealt with depth problems in the past and you're asking your defense to play 33 minutes a game and giving the other team 14, 15, 16 possessions, you're going to break down eventually. I've only been at two or three practices in the fall and one in the spring. You've been at pretty much every one. And what stood out to me every single time I've gone out there is I felt maybe it's just the two or three days I was out there that the defense was even or one out against the offense. So this is before Sam Hartman went out at a couple of them. And what struck me was just how aggressive the defense was. Every ball was contested with the corners. Balls batted up in the air, picked off. You got Brad Lambert back, and you've seen it closer than I have. How confident are you that this defense is going to be better than what it was a year ago? I think it'll be better. It's it's got to be the consistency. Um, you know, the, the, the catch-22 of it all, the what you have to remind yourself of. I had to remind myself of this. The first scrimmage of, of fall camp, the defense dominated. I mean, that was, in all fairness to Mitch Griffiths, that was like two days after uh, the announcement. The world got flipped upside down on him. So there's a lot of understanding that goes into this. But the first nine possessions that the offense had the ball, they had one first down. They just could not move the ball against Wake's defense. And I wrote this practice report that was glowingly positive about Wake's defense. I had Ryan Smenda telling me, yeah, we've got to elevate our game with Sam out. Like, we know we have all the confidence in the world in Mitch, but we also know that it's a different offense when 10 is not out there. And so we have to up our games. I went back and read what I wrote off of last year's first scrimmage of fall camp. Oh, no. The defense was great. The defense was dominant. It was going to be such a different unit than than the one from 2020. Here's an and idea. I, I want you to write this story because I love it when I see it. And I think someone at Texas did this for spring practice one time when Charlie Strong was there. He pulled the comments from every single year of Charlie Strong's spring practice. And it was almost verbatim the same exact quotes of, man, we're going to run the ball. And then it would always be couched with like the narrator voice. They were last in the Big 12 in running the ball. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, you you just you fall into these traps. Um, I will say the second scrimmage was, was a lot more balanced. Um, it was good moments on both sides. I, I, look, Wake's defense has talent. We just talked about the, the players they put in the NFL. Um, they're talented. It, it is... It is the offense they play that is going to put a lower ceiling on what they can be than most schools. And, you know, we'll we'll see if if Brad Lambert can at least elevate that ceiling a little bit. It's the drive with Josh Graham, WSJS. We weren't kidding when we said that this show has inspired a book. 
And the author of that book is Ryan McGee, and we'll tell you about that in just a little bit. Marty and McGee, week one of college football season, going to be in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Cincinnati facing the Hogs this weekend. So make sure you watch that, you listen to that, you consume that, and follow McGee on Twitter at ESPN McGee. But I actually was thinking about another book that you wrote yesterday when I was watching Dale Jr. qualifying for the race tonight at Wilkesboro. And he was emotional just looking at the crowd of people that was there to watch him qualify. You helped write Dale Jr.'s book. Now, Dale Jr.'s name's a lot bigger on the cover than your name is, but you you did help write that book. So few in the media have a better relationship with him than you do. Why do you think racing North Wilkesboro and helping revive North Wilkesboro is so important to him? Well, let me tell you about Dale. Is I don't know. I, I literally, and I know, I know people who are Hall of Famers like Dale. I've, I've been in the garage area my entire adult life. No one loves the sport more than he does. No one. There are people who might love it as much as he does. But no one loves it more, and that includes the history of it. And, like, I'll go to lunch with Dale Jr. every now and then, and he'll walk into the lunch with a shoebox. And we'll be at, like, you know, the toastery or something in Kannapolis. And he's opening up a shoebox and pulling out all these papers that he's found because he went to the estate sale of some crew chief that no one's heard of because the guy was crew chief in the 70s. And Dale Jr. bought a bunch of file cabinet from his house and has been going through it. And he'll show me, like, you know, look at this, man. It's awesome. He, that's how much he loves it. If you're, We wrote this in the book. If you're on eBay at 2 o'clock in the morning and you're trying to buy, you know, some, you know, Del Earnhardt autographed fire suit that some guy's got up on eBay and, and you can't afford it because some anonymous person is paying way too much for it, that's probably Dale Jr. Like, he's... He, he, that's just what he does. And so for him to have had a part in this, and he's had a really significant behind the scenes part in getting Wilkesboro reopened. He he was in, involved the last time I reopened several years ago, and now he's out in front. So I, I tell you this about Dale, and I'm not only speaking out of school here. He doesn't really like racing anymore. Like he, he contractually like runs an Xfinity race each year and all that. And he, you know, because of, He's got a family and his injuries and all that stuff. He gets he gets nervous, but he is not nervous about this weekend at all. About this week, he he is he is it's it's amazing to watch him. But he, yeah, and, and that's how everybody is there. I mean, Rick Houston was was posting stuff this morning, you know, on the on the the, the Wednesday Cup scene account, and you know, it's like this racing revival thing, and that's what they're calling it, and it's leading right into the ultimate old school race weekend which is the southern 500 at darlington so it's just it's it's a great week right now um if you're if you're a stock car racing fan ryan mcgee with us here getting to football saturday dare i say the best opening weekend opening saturday that we've seen in the state of north carolina ever you talk about app state going to north carolina for the uh, or north carolina going to app state for the first time ever you're talking about nc state ranked top 15 in the country going to ecu and i think all four of those teams are good i think they're all going to play in bowl games at least and then you got aggie eagle in your town of charlotte which is going to be big to open up the season and you know that's going to have a great environment which college game in this state are you most looking forward to watching man that's tough because um 
you know, and, and, I, and this, this weekend in North Carolina speaks to what's great about college football and what we need. Everyone needs to work really, really hard to make sure, no matter where all this is going, that games like this are preserved. And I'm talking about regional rivalry football games that people actually care about. You know, I wrote a story two weeks ago. Someone have said I wrote a story two weeks ago for ESPN.com about the Sun Belt. And I give them all the credit in the world because the Sun Belt Conference knows they are not going to get a $9 billion you know, Big Ten TV deal. They're not. Um, and they're not going to, every single Saturday, capture the imagination of the nation the way the SEC might. But what they are doing, and you look at the, the, the four schools they've added this year, it's regional schools that are in their footprint of the map that, oh, by the way, fans – can get from one to the other and that's why app state coastal is a giant football game marshall is going to be playing app state again and georgia wow. southern again and those of us who grew up in the southern conference we know what those and so i say all that to say this east carolina needs to play the tobacco road schools and the tobacco road schools need to play app state whether that's wake or whether it's carolina or whatever i mean mac brown going back to app state that's amazing and so it, it's um this is what makes college football great, games that people actually care about. And East Carolina, bless their hearts, you know, this is kind of it for them. You know, once, once their conference season starts, and I don't blame them for making the moves they made, but they look at the Sun Belt and get irritated because everybody's playing these regional games that they care about, and East Carolina's getting on a plane and flying to Texas and New England and all those other places. And it's just, it's, um, it is, uh, I, I know for a fact, and you know it too, because they're your people. Oh um, man, they could. They would really love to have a schedule full of these games. So yeah, I'm excited to see it. But but I, but it's it's going to be hard to top going up to App State and watching Carolina roll in there and um, big brother, little brother, and all that stuff. And if we ever got a chance to play Carolina and Mac Brown going back, it's it's going to be hard to top Kid Brewer this weekend. Ryan McGee is with us here. You grew up an NC State fan, so you've been through it. They're ranked in the top 15, their highest preseason ranking ever. Do you buy them? Um, <laughs> it's a show me situation. Um, you know, and I and I don't just apply that to state, but but I mean, we all know. I mean, NC State ish is a real thing, and until you prove that you've gotten over the hump, then then I'm in. It kind of and reminds gotta, me of Clemson show- in that way, doesn't it? Like Clemsoning no, was does, a thing. 100%. Clemsoning was a thing until it wasn't. NC State stuff similarly. Yeah, 20 years, Clemson spent all their time telling you about how great they were when Danny Ford was there. And we were supposed to treat them like royalty because they were really, really good in the 80s. Well, then it was the 90s and 2000s. But then once they once they got over the hump and once they started winning the big games and once they started beating Florida State regularly, now all of a sudden you believe. And, I, and, and what I say about NC State is the same thing I say about Miami. It's the same thing I say about Carolina. It's the same thing I say about Texas A&M. You know, you show flashes of it, and you win the game that you were trying to win all these years, A&M, they finally beat Alabama, and then they tripped their way through November. And so, you know, they still haven't won a national championship since Gone with the Wind was number one at the box office. That's a fact. I looked it up. And and in NC State's case, you know, hadn't won an ACC championship win. And so the, the point is, is once you show me that you have the capability to do it, you know, then I'm then I'm going to believe, and and they certainly came close to that a year ago, but came up a little short. But now on paper, 
uh, they should they could be really really good. And I think there's some overrated teams above them in the top ten. There's going to be some spaces to take up once you get up there. But that being said, um, as you said, I mean I grew up in Raleigh. I know I know enough to know that um, all of that I just said has probably just set up a loss at East Carolina. Yep, that's going to happen. <laughs> Pirates. Yeah. Pirates are going to win that game hard on Saturday. Ryan McGee, last thing for you. We usually close things out by asking you for a minor league story. Instead, I want to ask you about the story that's led to you actually having a book that we helped inspire. For four years, we've bugged you. Hey, give us a minor league baseball story. Your summer with the Asheville Tourist in the 90s, and you've wowed us, dazzled us with fantastic stories. I posted it on my Twitter earlier today. You shared it with me last night on Amazon. You can pre-order a book that is titled Welcome to the Circus of Baseball by Ryan McGee, a perfect, a story of the perfect summer at the perfect ballpark at the perfect time. It's happening. It is happening. April, first week of April, 2023, um, we're putting the finishing touches on the manuscript now and going through old pictures and the whole thing. Yeah. And that title Welcome to the Circus of Baseball um, is based on a real quote. That was I went to the winter meetings uh, in Atlanta looking for a job, and as as part of the baseball winter meetings, they have the trade show, which all these goofy entertainers we always talk about when I tell these stories. You know, Captain Dynamite in the in the coffin of doom, and uh, you know Elvis himself, and you know the famous chicken and Morgana and all that stuff. They had like a trade show, and there was a guy walking around with like the, the ring brothers, like ringmaster costume on. And he was just walking around shouting, welcome to the circus of baseball. And that's where the title came from, because that's, as you know, cause I've told you most of the great stories. Um, yeah, it, it was, it was a circus, but it was, it was entertaining and wacky. And, uh, yeah, I think it's going to, I told you, I said, we need a couple of key people to, to uh, lead this mortal coil and that happened. So I got to write the book. <laughs> okay. So this segment now, has an expiration date between now and April. That's the last that we're going to be mining Ryan McGee of minor league baseball stories. So this will be the last football season that we get that until we read the book on Twitter at ESPN McGee. Also check my Twitter page. If you want to pre-order the book, if you support the show, support the people that, you know, are nice enough to come on from time to time. And one of our favorites is Ryan McGee. Have fun in Arkansas. Happy football season. And congrats on the book, my friend. Thank you, man, and uh, happy football to everyone. All due respect to Week Zero. I don't know what that was. So Week One is upon us, and uh, and we shall all worship at the altar of the greatest game in the world. I really value B Dot's opinion. Six man of Tar Heel basketball who joins us now. The angelic voice that now welcomes you to the show or rejoins the show allows us to get back on the air. Dot, how do you feel about it? Do we have B Dot? I think we do now. I'm sorry, you said the angelic the angelic voice. What what were you asking me? Yeah, this like angelic voice that brings us back from break now. I don't know if you've heard this. I don't know how you feel about it. 
I'm having such technical difficulties at the worst time right now, Josh. I'm sorry. Oh, that's no problem. Can you hear me now? I can hear you now. Okay. I can hear you perfectly. Yes. Oh, that's great. So like this angelic voice that welcomes us back from break that says W-S-J-S. How do you feel about that? I like that voice. It gives me that vibe of old school radio, and I'm a, always a fan of old school radio. Like, I dig that. See, you and I, we're a little bit aligned in how we think because that's the thing that I like about it. But what makes yeah. me uncomfortable is just the fact that there is an angelic woman singing my my name because I get uncomfortable uncomfortable about such things, Dot. Why do you get uncomfortable about an angelic woman singing your name, Josh Graham? I, I don't think I'll ever get used to that. I just don't think I will. Tell him about the idea we had for the jingle. Yeah, that see, me. WD doesn't feel like he's involved <laughs> enough sometimes. So okay. how about if it was WSJS, the driver, Josh Graham, and then it was Will Dalton saying, with WD. Uh I, I don't I don't I don't dislike it. I don't hate it. It's gotta uh, be B dot saying it though. It's gotta be B dot. Yeah, I, but I you know I would say with the W you did. See, there you go. That's what okay. I want. We're selling it now. We're selling it. That's what we're yeah, doing. Yeah, that right there. That that's badass. You know, like W H J S the drive with Josh Graham and the W D. Cut that, boy. Okay, before we get to grammar school, what was your takeaway from the blue white scrimmage that you were able to commentate and call at the Smith Center Saturday? It was almost a dream come true. You know I've always wanted to do PA for a Carolina game, Josh Graham, but it was amazing just to see the guys. One of my biggest takeaways was the leadership role that Pete Nance has taken in such a short time. Like, that was a time where the team was down maybe 11 points, and Pete Nance sort of, you know, got galvanized the guys and got them all together and was, you know, barking directions and calling for, you know, plays and stuff on defense. He was real vocal. And I just thought that was awesome seeing that he's the newest person on the team. You know what I'm saying? Like, and Caleb was on his team, but he still took that leadership role. And I think that was instrumental. I love seeing Seth Trimble. Like, Seth Trimble is going to be so fun to watch. It's a good problem we have until it's a bad problem, but it's a good problem to have with all of the talent that it appears we have this year. Again, we thought we had a lot of talent last year. Um, guys really didn't really um, buy all the way in, so that's how we got the Iron Five. But this year, guys like Trez and DeMarco, they really stepped up. As you saw, DeMarco had 16. He looked a lot more confident playing his own pace, not getting sped up. Um, Caleb is Caleb. You know, still want him to make better decisions. But when he gets hot, he's super, super microwave. But that boy, R.J. Davis. R.J. Davis, I'm talking about Bob Cousy Award possibly. You understand what I'm saying to you? That type of guard this season. We no doubt have the best backcourt in college basketball with Caleb and R.J. No doubt about it. Tell me about your interaction with Roy Williams. Man, that was awesome. That's when I was trying to sort of find you. But I didn't want to come out of the wherever we were. And you told me you were with WD. I wanted to come out there and see you guys. Yeah, he blew us I off. He blew us off in favor of Roy. It's fine. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you, you could just tell what, I, what how it is. We were standing there on the field like, oh, well, where's, where's BDOT? And then when I saw the video on IG, I'm like, all right, I, I think there's a good excuse. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm That's under, where he I'm is. Under I'm under the stadium or something. I don't know where I was, but I was under there eating with the boys and HD gets there and, and Coach Roy gets there. And what's funny is on my video, it's a video on my Instagram, there's a video of Coach Roy Williams saying that I was doing a terrible job last season and we had a great laugh about it. But right before that, he says, 
you know, he just wanted to come over there and tell me how great of a job I did last season and he couldn't wait to this season coming up. And I was like, man, I appreciate that, Coach. So I get my phone out and I was like, what'd you say, Coach, say that again? And that's when he hits me with the, you did horrible thing. Roy's the best. Uh... Awesome, man. I'm going to tell you something else that was awesome about that experience, too. We had a recruit on a visit and the recruit, who will remain nameless, um, just came up and HD saw him. So HD, you know, gives him some depth and went to him. But then HD says, man, listen, that last TikTok you did, went to him, to him, and references his TikTok. The kid's eyes get as big as eggs. He's just like, like he's he's shocked that Coach HD has been on his TikTok. And Coach HD's like, yeah, like I'm, I'm every, I see everything. And it was just, that was just awesome in that moment, like to see like, Coach really be everywhere. Like, I saw him at EYBL. Like, he has not had a summer, and he's right back to it. And we're ready for this fall, man. We're ready to make this trip to Houston. So that just tells me that Hubert has people right next to him that keep him informed on the kids that are showing up. Hey. hey. It's smart. Hey, hey, I'm not knocking the game. I'm not knocking the game, but. Hey, the delivery, the delivery was so authentic, though, that he gets an A for that, if nothing else. There you go. Let's see if I get an A today in grammar school. Josh Graham has his own way of speaking. In high school, he didn't play sports, but he did wear a helmet. And just when you think it can't get any worse. My English teacher wanted to flunk me in junior high. Damn. Thanks a lot. Next semester, I'll be 35. Josh is going to attempt to learn B-Dot's vernacular. I'm from the old school. I got a street knowledge. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? It's time for B-Dot's Grammar School. It absolutely is time for grammar school. And if this is your first time playing grammar school or listening, it's very simple. I have three words of the urban, three words or phrases of the urban vernacular that I asked Josh Graham. And Josh has to get two out of three correct to get a satisfactory grade in today's episode. Last week, um, Josh Graham did, did great. No, no, Josh, you did horrible last, last week, didn't you? No, I went three for three last week. My apologies. Josh Graham did great last week. I think I was horrible last week. I was in Adam Gold's chair. That's why. Yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. You were stunting for television. But nevertheless, Josh Graham to kick off for season two, he likes to give me a word of the caucastic persuasion. Josh Graham? It's not a word. It's not really a phrase. But you've been keeping an eye on what Serena Williams is doing? A little bit. Okay. Yeah, she's... I hope she wins tonight, but she's going up against the number two player in the world. So this might be the last time we see Serena in a U.S. Open. That's tonight at 7 o'clock. You've seen the movie King Richard, too, right? I have. Will Smith did a phenomenal job. Oh, it's such a great movie. In tennis, how many games do you have to win in order to take a set, Dot? How many games do you have to win in order to take a set is... Three. Oh! WD, do you play a little tennis? I play a lot of tennis. You look like it. Six games you have to it, win. Yeah, that's when it's six, five in the set, and then it's got to win three, mat- three, three matches. Is that right? Is that what it is? Best out of three, unless you're talking about men's grand slams, where you have to win best of five. Gosh. I knew that too, because if it's six six, then you got to go tiebreaker, and that's how you can win seven six and stuff like that. 
like I'm a I'm a lot more knowledgeable about um tennis than I just displayed there, and it's gonna haunt me for the rest of the week. Thank you, Josh Brown. Sorry about that. What's your first word? This word it can be used in a very sexual connotation. However, in this definition, it has no sexual connotation. You understand? I understand. Zero sexual connotation, okay? Understood. The term is neck. <laughs> N-E-C-K. Please neck. tell me. Please tell me you know about the the song that LSU plays. You know about that song? I don't know. What song are you speaking uh, about? Are you talking about? You, you'll have to look it up later because I can't tell you anything else about the song <laughs> without hearing... <laughs> It is incredible to the point where they tried to ban it. And when they tried to ban it, students sang it a cappella. And uh, yeah, neck, LSU, right. go Tigers. Uh, okay. Is, is, it a, uh, is it a noun? Is it a verb? Um, it is a verb in this definition. So you neck something. There we go. You neck. Yeah, 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 yeah. You give someone, oh, that's, that's, this is how it would be used. Oh, uh, that's neck. Okay. Hmm. I'm going to say that that's like cool. That it's like, that's, that's tight. That's neck. Is that your final answer without even putting the phone number out or anything? 336-777-1600. WD. You don't look confident on this one at all. Don't 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 go to me on this. I'm one. not. I'm gonna stick with my answer then. Okay. And listen, all of these on today's episode, I will post on my Twitter so that you can see. And also, you can go to UrbanDictionary.com to um, just see the validity. But that is 100% incorrect, Josh. <laughs> He's on Twitter at B dot, by the way. Yeah. Um, neck is when you get slapped on the back of the neck for saying something stupid. Ah. Yeah. Like you said, something ridiculous. Like, oh, man, the Panthers, they could go undefeated and win the Super Bowl. That's neck. Me, like, trying to say the lyrics to the song Neck that the LSU students came up with. That's neck. Yeah, that's neck. Okay. Next. Second word for you, Josh Graham. What is a Lucy? Oh, I know this one. What is a Lucy? L-O-O-S-I-E. It is like a single cigarette. That is 100% correct, Josh Brown. Boom, 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 boom. Bang, bang, pow, pow. Yeah, yeah, that is correct. Ask me how I knew that. How did you know that, Josh Brown? That was in an episode of Chappelle's show where they asked, (laughs) how well do you know black people and <laughs> what is a lucy that's one of the questions hey this is almost like a this is almost like slumdog millionaire like just seeing certain things in life have you getting answers correct on a game that you didn't even know you would have to need later in life that's right that's right uh, that, that shows 20 years old so i think i earned points for knowing the show and knowing the reference what's number three i got hey, one right so- i got one wrong let's go hey. To get a satisfactory grade today, Josh Graham, all you have to do is let me know what is sturdy. Wait a minute. Is something sturdy or is sturdy like a noun? The way that you said it there. 
Uh, sturdy is a straight verb. You get sturdy it's... now. What? Do yeah, you sturdy. sturdy something? No, no, you get sturdy. S-T-U-R-D-Y. Sturdy. I, I hear you. Yeah. You get sturdy, baby. You understand? Woo! I'll, I'll, I'll take whatever WD gives me, because I got the lifeline. He doesn't look like he knows, though. I I think I do know it. Okay, oh. what, what is... What's I, it mean I, to get sturdy? I think it means, like, you can endure something. You can you can take on something. You can endure it. That's what I think it means. It might be one of the meanings, and it's not the one he's talking about. That's what I think it means. Oh, boy. That does not sound like the type of word. That doesn't sound like the type of word that Dot would pull as a deciding word here. Maybe not. I don't like how he's looking at me either. No, I just... <laughs> what am I doing? What am I doing? 4367771600. I'm not going with that definition at all. You're sturdy. not going with WD's definition for getting sturdy? Getting sturdy. Now, I'm going to say, like, getting sturdy, like, it's like having, it's like being ten, ten toes down in a sense, man. Like, well, that's basically what I said. I know, but, like, I don't think he'd give us something that means the same thing. <laughs> I, I'm going to say, like, fine. You know what, WD? Let's just combine what you said and what I said and see how it sticks. <laughs> Endure something, sure. What, what WD said and what I said. <laughs> All right, now, WD, I want you to, since your computer's right there, Google Sturdy, S-T-U-R-D-Y. Google it. Not me? No, nah, not you. I want WD to read it. Because I like you in suspense of knowing if you're if you're right or wrong right now. Okay. And the audience as well. Yeah. Except for the audience that knows what Sturdy means. Urban Dictionary, what's it mean to be sturdy? Yeah. No, just put in Sturdy, S-T-U-R-D-Y. Yeah. All right. The act of dancing during a lit event or at any time. Yeah. Getting sturdy is dancing. So in other words. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It has nothing <laughs> to do with a girlfriend or ten toes down and or none of that foolish shit y'all were throwing out. It's just a dance. Get sturdy. And you normally do it to <laughs> or, or Bobby Schmurder. Like, they get sturdy. Oh, yeah. I wish my daughter was down here because I would have her do a demonstration of getting sturdy for WD so that he could see it. That's been grammar <laughs> school for today. Dot, I have a couple more things I want to ask you about before we let you go. Okay. How cool is it going to be the next couple of weeks to see the blue and gold marching machine play in not one, but two NFL stadiums? You've got Aggie Eagle in Charlotte Saturday, which you're going to be at, and then... It was announced yesterday by a former Aggie, the Lions general manager, Brad Holmes, that the Eagles facing Detroit at halftime, A&T's band's going to perform there too. I thought it was awesome, the representation that fam you had in Keenan um, Stadium Saturday versus Carolina. Being a product of an HBCU, that always is awesome to see. And when you talk about HBCUs, the black, I mean, the blue and gold marching machine is the apex of bands in the HBCU world. And for them to go and to represent on that stage is going to be awesome for the fans that have never seen it. 
I just saw a DM today where a guy said it was his first time ever seeing an HBCU band, FAMU's band, which is another very notable band, the Marching Hundred. The oh, Rappers. no doubt. There were twice as um, many band members than there were FAMU football players. Exactly. Like, they're amazing. And they always travel just like that. And they always sound that awesome and strong. And, you know, like for a t it's also awesome because my wife and I, as I know, Josh, you've been watching, but we've been watching Hard Knocks. So we've started to like these Detroit uh, Lion people. So that was just good synergy having A&T being at the Detroit game. So I'm just always happy. My wife, of course, she's a product of um, North Carolina a State University. So I'm always a fan of them and it's just going to be awesome. But I, I was down there with basketball players like the Biscuit Boys, like Dewey Ferris and, uh, uh, and Jackson and, and Creighton. Those guys had never seen an HBCU band before. Like they were, I'm talking about their mouths were on the floor like an old Bugs Bunny cartoon. Like they could not believe what they were seeing. Just so many people in unison, the, the drum majors running up and doing splits. Like it was amazing, man. So it's awesome to be able to um, give that type of exposure to, um, to new audiences from the HBCU perspective. Yeah, that was probably the first time WD has seen an HBCU band. Is that right? I feel like I've seen either Winston-Salem States or A&T's at one point. Okay. But it's incredible, man. It really was something. Uh, B-Dot, we'll we'll talk to you next week. Uh, We'll both try to do better. This will hurt us, our our scores in grammar school, both of us, but we'll hope to bounce back next week. Absolutely. Can I ask you a question before I get out of here? Yeah, sure. I sent you a picture of the, um, the magnificent coloring book that I'm working on. Yes. Or you have a um a, a spot. Did you like the the imagery of you in the coloring book? I absolutely loved. <laughs> I didn't think of this. I, I showed two people. I showed uh, Will and I showed our GM, and Will brought up something great. My hand gestures, my hands going up in the air because, like Ricky Bobby, I don't know what to do with my hands. Uh, that was fantastic. You need to share it with the people. Tell people what's up and. Oh, no doubt, man. Um, I'm just real excited, man. I wanted to document um, my first season as the sixth man of Carolina basketball. And the best way to do that, that thank you, WD, um, is by doing a coloring book. So the coloring book will be out very soon. I'm just finishing up the illustration on it. And it is titled Superfan to Sixth Man, um, how BDOT became the sixth man of Carolina basketball. And I could not accurately tell that story um, without having Josh Graham in there. So I appreciate and I'll tell you what's so cool about that. Like today, it's just random that we had you on the same time as Ryan McGee. Like the show, this show is the reason why he actually just wrote a book. Like the store, the minor league baseball stories that he's told on this show for four years. He's, he's mm-hmm. joked, oh yeah, I'm going to write a book about that one day. And he's actually writing the book now. And, and it's <laughs> written and it's going to be, I mean, you could pre-order it in April. And now we're featured in a coloring book and, yeah. you know, all the stuff you do with Carolina I, I think a lot of people in the triad, and I certainly feel this way, are like proud brothers when they see the stuff that you do. So it's always really cool. And I'm, we're yeah. just glad to have played a part in it somehow. No, and I'm thankful for that. And I just wanted to um, document that for the history books for forever. And, um, you know, I just love you, brother. And I appreciate you. Love you too, man. We'll see you next week. All right. There he goes. <laughs> B-Dot, six man of Tar Heel basketball. Six, six, six.